Let's turn our Bibles to Second Timothy. Second Timothy, and we'll read chapter 1. Our focus will be verse 12. Second Timothy chapter 1. I commence reading from verse 1. <coughs> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promises, to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank my God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your, your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelled first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I'm remind, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality into light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in faith, and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Ephigelas and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant, grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you will know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Amen. We continue looking at a series entitled, Can God Really? And behind this series is 
really looking at some of the verses that we know and ask the question as it relates to that verse in connection with our journey on earth, our experiences as Christians, and finding comfort and strength in those verses. We've dealt with the question, can God really provide for his people? Then we looked at the question, can God really sustain his people? We looked at the question, then can God really cause all things to work for the good of those that love him? We also dealt with the question, can God really save us from our sins? And this morning we'll be looking at the question, can God really keep you saved? Now, if you've been a Christian for some time, you've probably have asked this question. As you've looked around you, as you've dealt with your own sinfulness, your, in, your own indwelling sin, as you've looked at your shortcomings, have you dealt with the sins of others? As you hear the, the testimonies of individuals, their struggles, as we hear of Christians falling into sin, one of the things that you've probably have asked is, can God really keep me saved to the very end? And, and, and this question is asked sometimes, not that you, you doubt that God can save or God can keep you to the very end, but as you look around you and seeing Christians falling away or falling into sin. And at the center of it is you asking yourself the question, why would God give me so much joy in salvation and then I lose it away? And the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 12, he, he makes a bold declaration to not only remind us, but also to, sh to, to encourage us and to see with him that God can really keep you safe to the very end. And this letter is believed that it was written somewhere uh, around AD 60 uh, to about AD 65. And in AD 68, this man Paul, an old man, sits in a filthy prison, Roman prison, the man who once traveled the world telling thousands of people how to know their creator <coughs> through the Lord Jesus Christ and is now confined, uh, confound in a prison. And from that prison cell, he writes a letter to a young man, a young man uh, in a distant Ephesus. And, and the subject of this letter is how to remain strong in the midst of a collapsing civilization. And as Paul writes this letter to the young man Timothy, Paul focuses on four challenges he wants to communicate to his son in the faith, Timothy. 
And these four challenges are laid out or outlined for us in each chapter of this second letter. In chapter 1, Paul focuses on guarding the truth and he writes to Timothy that Timothy must guard the truth. In chapter 2, Paul writes to Timothy that Timothy must be strong in the Lord. In chapter, in chapter 3, Paul writes to Timothy that he must avoid the traps and pitfalls of life. And then in chapter 4, he writes to Timothy that he must preach the word. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But Paul says to Timothy, but for you, preach the word in season and out of season. And these are the four challenges that he puts before Timothy, but also these are challenges that are applicable to all of us as Christians as we live in this world today. And it is right in verse 12 of chapter 1 that the Apostle Paul makes a bold statement concerning his salvation. He tells us that he's confident that his salvation is eternal in nature and that God will see him through and is convinced that God is able to do that. But we need to ask this question to ourselves this morning. Is salvation something that you can count on? Is it something that you can count on? Or is it something that you simply hope that will work out for you one day in the end? Can you as a Christian this morning make this bold statement that Paul made that the salvation that you found in Christ Jesus, the salvation that is yours in Christ, it is something that you can count on, it is something that you are holding on to and you know that God will bring you to the very end. Oh, is it something you hope will work out for you? Can God really keep you safe to the end? We have evangelicals, most of Christians, who have a view, or at least who believe that man can by the exercise of his own free will turn from God to sin at any time he feels like and be lost forever. But I believe that the scriptures teach us that once God grants his salvation, that has been accomplished in Christ Jesus. 
the person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, that moment of salvation, that person, that individual is instantly and eternally changed and adopted into the family of God. That person is declared righteous because of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can stand with Paul and board in his confirmation and declaration of his salvation that God can keep me saved to the very end. Because salvation is God's work accomplished by Christ and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. And as we go through this verse this morning, Ask yourself this question. Is this the salvation that I found in Christ Jesus? Or is my salvation founded or, or based on a faulty view of God, a faulty view of salvation, and therefore living in doubt daily about your salvation? Paul helps us answer that question. And the first thing I want us to note is our conversion. Our conversion. Read with me verse 12. I'll begin from where it says, but. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. For I know whom I have believed. Christianity consists in, in the sure knowledge and personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This certainty arises from the truth of God and the one in whom we place our salvation, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that verse, we see that our salvation involves a person. It involves a person. And this is why Paul is able to say, or Paul says, he knows in whom he has believed. The apostle Paul does not say that I, I, know, I, I do believe, or I might believe, or I'm hoping that I have believed. But the Apostle Paul uses what we see there, which is the perfect tense. He says, I know whom I have believed. And this tense shows us that the act of believing was something that happened in the past and continues to have an effect in the present. It is an act that happened in the past that that act continues to have the effect in the present and is able to say, for I know whom I have believed. At a particular time in his life, Paul entrusted himself, his life, to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and he entered into an experiential understanding of this God. When you read that account in Acts chapter 9, verse 4 through to verse 6, you, you, you read there that on his way to Damascus, he was saved. And his conversion was the direct result of meeting a person. And this person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read in Acts chapter 22, verse 1 through to verse 3, Paul referred to himself as, as a very educated man. He was a very educated man. But also when you read in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, he also says about himself that he lived the holy life in comparison with the requirements of the law. But when he looks at his salvation in Christ Jesus, he says, all this is but useless. There was no way my education, there was no way my religious activities would have earned my salvation. It involved a person, and this person is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way of conversion. This is how it happens to those who believed. They believe in the person of Christ. Salvation is the result of a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And no amount of goodness, no amount of education, no amount of religious activities will or can produce salvation. It is always and only the result of meeting Jesus Christ in a personal way. And Paul is able to show us that it involves a person. But you can also see that our conversion involves a plan. He's able to say, for I know whom I have believed. His conversion was a result of belief. And this belief was not just belief in anything, but belief in the plan of God for salvation for mankind. It was belief in the plan of God, and this plan of God, that salvation is in no other but Jesus Christ. He says, he had put his complete confidence trust and reliance in God through in Christ Jesus. It means he trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him and him alone. And this implies that he let go of his religious activities and believed in God's plan of salvation, Christ Jesus. 
but you also notice he's able to say that it's, this not just involves a person or a plan. His salvation is one that is permanent. And that's why he's able to say, for I know whom I have believed. As I said earlier on, this is the perfect tense. In the Greek, it is in the perfect tense, signifying that his, this action that Paul is referring to, it is one that was completed in the past, once and for all, and never to be repeated. He said the work that Christ did, it was done once and for all. He doesn't need repeating. He doesn't need to be improved upon. It is one and for all completed action in the past, but with continuous effect in the present. It is a one-time action, and it was accomplished by the only person who was able to do it, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is true of all those who say they are Christians, is that they've come to recognize that in and of themselves, there's nothing that they can do that will merit salvation. In and of themselves, there is nothing that they can do that will put a smile on God's face and say your sins are forgiven. In and of themselves, they recognize that without the Lord Jesus Christ, their efforts are useless and therefore heading to hell. Till they cease God's finished work, in Christ, a permanent work, a work that put a smile on the Father and paid the penalty for sin. And if this is not your conversion, if this is not your story of salvation, then you're trusting in your own works and your works before God as, as filthy rags. Only the finished work of, of Christ is what brings us into the, into the family of God. It's what causes us to be accepted before God. It's what brings about our salvation. And so we're able to see there our conversion. Secondly, let us look at our confidence. Our confidence. But, I know, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul knew God 
personally and intimately. He knew what God was like. He had experienced the love of God. He had experienced the power of God. And to Paul, it was inconceivable that God should fail him. He was convinced that the work which God had begun in him, he will bring it to completion and you usher him into his presence. And this is also our confidence. The believer's confidence is based on the person of God. It is based on the person of God. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. The word know means to know by personal experience. And the Apostle Paul is telling us that he has confidence. And his confidence He's in the Lord because he knows the Lord. And this was his confidence. He had experienced God's power. And he had come to know this God. And he experienced God's power firsthand. And he knew what God can do. If God was able to save a man like Saul, who persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's experience of God, he says, is trustworthy. And when he looks at his own life, he looks at the life of his people, his, 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 his fellow tribesmen, the Jews, the, the people of Israel, it gave him confidence that God is trustworthy. People or believers who have assurance of salvation have a strong faith in their God. They believe in a God who is all-powerful, one who does as he pleases one who does as is promised and one who's able to bring about salvation. Those who doubt whether, God, whether or not God he can save them and keep them often have an imperfect view of God and of salvation. Some are at the back of their minds, they still feel that they contributed to their salvation. And when they're at the point when they are seeing the fortunes of Zion falling, when they see other believers falling in sin, they somehow feel that this that they found in God, in Christ Jesus, can be lost. But the question is, who is God to you? Do you believe in a God who is all-powerful? A God who does as he promised? 
a God who's sovereign and in control of all things. Or you, you believe in a God who's imperfect and weak and unable to do as he says he's able to do. Our confidence is in the person of God. But also the believer's confidence is based in the promises of God. Paul is able to say, For I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced. He was conceived about God's ability to preserve his soul. Paul's confidence was not a blind leap into the dark, no. But it was a confidence based squarely upon the precious promises of God. And he's able to say, he had no doubts that God can save and keep him to the very end. This is our confidence as God's children. This is the same confidence that we have, that poor heart. That our confidence is based in the promises of God. And are you settled in that sure knowledge of God's promises? Are you convinced as an individual Christian about this God who saved you from your sins? This God who reached out to you in the depths of your sins and pulled you out and washed you in the precious blood of his son. Are you convinced that that God who did that is the same God who's sustaining you, keeping you, and is the same God who presents you before himself with great joy? Are you settled in the knowledge that Jesus Christ saves sinners. But also see that the believer's confidence is, also, is based in the power of God. That's why Paul is able to say, I'm convinced that he is able, he is able to guard until that day, what has been entrusted to me? Paul is simply saying that God has the power to do what he says he's able to do. In Paul's days, In Paul's day, a person would entrust something with a friend to keep it safe for them or to an official in the temple. The temples also acted as, as banks in those days. That friend or official had a sacred duty 
to keep what has been entrusted to them safe so that it could be passed on to the depositors' children whoever was authorized to retrieve what was entrusted to them. And Paul uses that language as he tells us that salvation that is ours in Christ is based on God's power and God himself is keeping it. He has entrusted this salvation to us and Paul has entrusted himself to this God. And this God is keeping what has been entrusted to us against that day. And the Apostle Paul is saying, it's not because of my ability, but it is because God who first in the first place entrusted his salvation to me. And having saved me from my sins, I entrusted myself to this God. And this God is able to do just that. The Apostle Peter in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5, is, he writes that we are kept by the power of God. We are kept by the power of God. <coughs> Our salvation is only as strong as God's power to keep it. Our salvation is only as strong as God's power to keep it. And God is able to do that. And what this means is that as we go through this life, endure different challenges, come across challenging moments in our lives when we question whether God is there, we must remember that our God is one who saved us from our sins, entrusted his salvation to us, and as we repented of our sins, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we entrusted ourselves to his care, and he has the ability, he has the power to keep that which we have entrusted to him. And as we do so, we must view our lives in what God has done. And the challenges of life, cannot take that salvation from us. Because our salvation is dependent on, on God and his power. Salvation depends on nothing less than the power of God. And therefore, we can be sure of our salvation even as we live in this world. And this knowledge that this is the God we save, this is what God has done in our lives, in Christ Jesus, must cause us to come to a point which Paul came, that he was convinced that God is able and as, he's, and as he's there in, in, in prison, waiting for his time, 
He knew that he was safe in the hands of God. And this is our confidence. Anyone who's come to know Christ Jesus and has been saved from sin, this is our confidence. Whatever life throws at us, this is our confidence. Whatever challenges we have, this is our confidence. And this confidence must produce in each one of us that know this God a commitment to him. This is what we see in the third place, our commitment to God. Verse, verse, let's begin from verse 11. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle <coughs> and a teacher. <coughs> Excuse. Which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. When he thinks, when Paul thinks of his conversion, he thinks of his confidence. The only thing is that he committed himself to service to this great God. And he's writing that the reason why he's suffering in this way, it's because of his Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And he had no fear of judgment. Because he knows that on that day, he will stand in the confidence of his salvation that has been accomplished by Christ Jesus. And while he was on earth, he committed his life, his soul, to saving this God. Remember, he is in a prison. And he's facing death. And for him, it was encouraging to know that though the emperor can kill his body, his soul will remain safe in God. And as he's writing to Timothy, he writes to all of us as believers that we have a present abiding security in this life. Though the physical body they may destroy, we have a present abiding security in this life. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to pour the idea in this text is that God's ability 
He's able to keep himself. He was not dependent on his ability. He was dependent on, his, on God's ability. And he's not just dependent on God's ability. He knows that this God is willing to keep himself to the very end. Paul is not saying that this is something that God might do or is able to do. No, rather he's saying that this is something that God is single-minded on doing. All those who are in his beloved son, Christ Jesus, he will bring them to be with him in heaven. He's single-minded on doing this. There's no shred of doubt in the apostle Paul. He says God is able. And as he commits himself to this God, his commitment is anchored in the knowledge of his God. And therefore, service to this God is but a great privilege. Jesus Christ is the supreme guardian of our souls. And you can rest secure in the knowledge that you allow no harm to befall on those who are his. He will bring them safe to heaven. And this is what should bring about commitment to all of us as Christians. When we think of our conversion, when we think of our confidence we have in Christ, surely any service to this God is a great privilege. And we must commit ourselves not only to suffer for the gospel, but to live our lives in such a way that as the world sees us, they would see individuals committed to proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's able to save to the uttermost. And this is why Paul is able to say, I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him or to me. When we think of standing before the judgment seat of God, are you confident that you can say with Paul, that I have committed myself to the service of this God who saved me from my sins. You need to examine yourself. Maybe a lack of zeal in your service to God might be because you've never been converted. 
Maybe you've never been saved from your sins. Maybe you've never come to know this God. Because an encounter with this God not only brings about confidence, but a commitment to his service. And Paul is able to say, this is why I suffer as I do. For the sake of the gospel, which is mine in Christ Jesus. Do you see the wonder of our great salvation? The wonder of our great salvation is that we put no confidence in our own ability because we know we fail our God daily. Instead, we consciously and deliberately look by faith to the one who has the ability not only to save us, but to hold us in the storms of life. We look to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him and call upon him as we journey through this world. We look to the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon him in the, in the pressures of life. We look to Jesus and call upon him and trust him when life seems to be giving away. We look to Jesus and trust him when nothing is making sense in this life. And when we grasp the truth about our salvation in Christ, the security he provides, we can only be filled with great joy and praise him for all that he has done. For he alone is worthy of our worship because he alone is able to keep us safe in this present life and in the life to come. Charles Adon Spajon wrote, and I quote, All the bliss of that hour when the everlasting doors shall be lifted up and we being made fit for the inheritance shall dwell with the saints in light, sin gone, Satan shut out, temptation passed forever, and ours faultless before God. This will be heaven indeed. Let us be joyful now as we rehearse the song of eternal praise so soon to roll forth in full chorus from all the blood-washed hosts. Let us copy David's exhorting before the ark as a preamble to our worship before the throne. This is what this must do when we realize that God can really keep us safe to the very end. 
and our commitment to, to live as he pleases, to live as he demands, we will show that truly we've been saved from our sins. But as I close this morning, I would like to ask a question to all of us here. Have you ever been saved from your sins? Have you ever come to a point when you realized that nothing but the blood of Jesus can save you? Nothing but Christ can save you. And if you've never come to a point where you've been saved from your sins, God is still saving sinners from their sins. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you too can have this confidence that is ours in Christ Jesus. And you can experience the joy of knowing that you've been saved from your sins. And as we sing in closing that hymn that talks of the assurance of our salvation, if you are not a Christian, if you've never been saved from your sins, then you don't know what it means to sing with the hymn writer, but I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I don't know when God will come. I don't know whether I'll meet him in the air or whether I'll pass through the veil of death. I don't know, but there's something that I know. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Don't go out of this place until you settle this issue that you too can sing with us without lying, meaning every word, because we would have experienced the forgiving power of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.